Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. Today, we finish the tournament. It's the finals. The Pixies versus Nirvana. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now let's talk the Pixies versus Nirvana and how we got here after a month of battles. Welcome to the final round of the Brother, Brother, Brother Bracket Tournament Challenge. The greatest American band. It's been a crazy month with a lot of uh, amazing matchups, a lot of great conversation. And there will, by the end of this podcast, there will be one winner. Uh, That band that is crowned the Brother, Brother, Brother's greatest American band. Um, I have to ask a few questions before uh, before we get into the conversation about who is... Who will win? And I and I'll I'll uh, posit this by saying uh, tonight's matchup is the Pixies versus Nirvana. Um, but I want to do a little bit of uh, uh, like a verbal version of the one shining moment montage on CBS, and basically just ask you guys how we got here. And uh, one of the uh, primary questions uh, I was curious about is is you know who did you think had a puncher's chance coming into this, Jeremy? Well, I mean, I think there was a, a couple bands for me, but but number one, I I really think prior to uh, you know watching and talking through the tournament, the Velvet Underground was a band that I thought would would probably win and, and definitely be in the finals, and uh, they made it far, but they didn't didn't make it to the end. They made it to the eight. They didn't make it to the, even the final four, which you know was very shocking. It was a um, tough who- tough bracket. Yeah, I mean, who did you think, Christian? I mean, and, and, and you know, I'm, I probably have eight bands that I thought could possibly, you know, that actually stood a chance. So, I mean, do you have a couple that you thought could make it, Christian? I do, and, and actually, I think they, uh, they all came, well, most of them came out of the, um, that, that first region, that, that upper left uh, bracket that we had. When the, these bands were, you know, the Beach Boys up there, CCR, um, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and then, of course, the Eagles. And, you know, I thought Beach Boys, just because they're so steeped in history and they were sort of the, the rivals of the Beatles, um, then you've got, you know, the Eagles, who I really thought that their their commercial sales would carry them further than it did. I mean, the fact that they are just... You can't really argue uh, argue with the record there um, and, uh, and, and how many albums they moved. Um and uh, and then CCR, who you know, I, I think for a lot of the more qualitative reasons, or you know, th- that we've discussed, um, just in terms of the fact that they are so rootsy in terms of their uh, you know sort of Americana um, uh, you know classic band, um, I, I thought that that would take them a little further. Yeah, I think a lot of the architects of the American sound, um, you know, had a had an had a chance to make it once we started doing a lot of the analysis. I uh, I myself would have said going into the tournament without having seen the the matchups and and whether you know I would have said it was going to be the Velvet Underground versus the Beach Boys with a chance that uh, the Stooges could win uh, with a chance that um, if Christian wasn't participating the REM could uh, could advance pretty <laughs> far um, but also you know I I wasn't thinking as much of commercial success as I was you know sphere of influence and. Um, I did not have these two bands. I had these two bands going really far, the Pixies and Nirvana, but I didn't have them going um, all the way. And I would have thought that our final four, without looking at the um, without looking at the brackets, would have been the Velvet Underground, uh, the Stooges, the Beach Boys, and um, you know I thought maybe like a Metallica could squeeze in or somebody like that. So um, that, you know, I'm pretty, uh, I'm very satisfied with where we wound up, but I'm also really surprised. And it it was, you know, I I can, uh, I reassure anybody who's listening, these conversations took place in real time and minds were changed during the competition. So with that, um, we'll be back in a minute to talk about our own methodology in terms of how we put this together. 
So we're back to uh, to talk a little bit about the methodology in this tournament, um, which uh, I think in some ways may be a little bit of a, a mea culpa. Um, I, you know, I think we we initially planned to seed these um, one through sixty four based on uh, based on age, um, and we you know we really wanted to randomize this as much as possible because of course if we seeded based on our favorite bands, then um, you know the the problem would ultimately be that the stronger seeds would uh, would push through um, pretty consistently. Uh, we thought about a couple of different ways of doing it, um, and and ultimately settled on uh, basically turning turning the reins over to our producer uh, to, uh, to to seed based on age, and then rejig the lineup a little bit in a couple of cases where he thought that he wanted to you know um, to to open this up to um, you know better competition. Um, I think that you know we we caught a little bit of flack. I think uh, early on. What do you guys think? Yeah, I rightfully so. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say deservedly so, but I also will defend the fact that you know these, uh, like I said, these conversations did take place in real time, and there were exactly you know we got some really really tough um, first round matchups, even that you know I mean I would never you know if had we seated them according to our favorites or according to record sales or whatever metric that we felt like using, not, didn't, it was never going to be a perfect system. What it was, I hope, was an entertaining conversation that yielded quality results. Yeah, no, I mean, I think one of the cool things was there wasn't a a round that there wasn't a tough, multiple tough decisions made. And there was very few, um, you know, really kind of clean sweeps. So when there was a sweep, it was just due to the fact that we had all sort of convinced ourselves of, of, you know, or or argued the point or but it was always a close call. And I think that made for, uh, to your point, when an entertainment value, hopefully for our listeners, despite uh, the obsession over seating, because we certainly received lots of uh, tweets and uh, Fire. emails and, and <laughs> anger, and we, we appreciate that too. It will, it will going forward, we will keep that in mind. Honestly, we like the enthusiasm. It was cool to see people engaged, and uh, and we were really excited about that. You know, and I think it's also worth mentioning. Um, I, there were very few omissions, it's worth noting, I mean, that, that were really, you know, um, and actually I don't think any of them were forgetful omissions. Um, you know, we did post an NIT bracket on the, uh, on the website for those of you who are wondering where your, uh, where your favorite band is if it's not on this list, and it's probably in there. Um, you know, I, I think that there's always heartbreak on Selection Sunday, um, and, uh, and ultimately, you know, the, the bands represented here were, um, were the ones who we thought for, for a variety of different metrics and reasons, you know, um, deserved uh, deserved their shot at the title this year. We're back, and, and, you know, throughout this tournament, you know, we talked about in the last segment, there were some really tough matchups, which lead to, you know, some, some heartbreaking moments for us. These are bands that, um, some of which we were pretty passionate about. This uh, We had many post-pod recording arguments via a, a three-way text chain or, or a phone call. And, um, you know, I think we all definitely, as we said early on, had, had picked sort of different winners. So... Um, let's talk about some of the, the bands that broke our hearts in this tournament. Um, Christian, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, well, I should probably start with, uh, uh, with the competition or the matchup that nearly caused me to de-brother Wyndham um, for, uh, for, for a day or two, um, which was the Almond Brothers against Aerosmith. Um, you know, this was, this was huge for me, and, and never being somebody who's uh, been a huge Aerosmith fan and, and always being, you know, a huge Almond Brothers fan, um, seeing them go down uh, like that in the, in the second round was, was pretty tough. Um, I think that there's a, a really strong argument to be made. I won't make it again. Um, don't worry. Uh, but, that, but that that could have uh, gone the other way. Um, and another one I would say, you know, that just that, that killed me was, um, was Blondie against the Stooges. Um, who the hell seeded this thing? Jerks. Damien, I believe, uh, our yeah, producer. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the wheels, of the, the, we sing it with me, the wheels on the bus go round and round, and look out, Damien. 
Um, we're throwing you under it. Uh, my biggest heartbreak, uh, ironically, and I mean that honestly, like uh, ironically had to do with the Almond Brothers as well, which is um, I can't believe that in a, in a tournament that I am participating in, uh, that Jeremy's participating in, that Cheap Trick didn't make it out of the first round. I mean, that <laughs> it, to me is absolutely shocking. That is, you know, that is Princeton beating UCLA. That's, uh, you know, that's a 16, or not to the 16 one, because I, I mean, I don't mean to disparage the Almond Brothers who I like, uh, but Cheap Trick being, having to face such massive competition in the first round was just, you know, I looked down and I was like, this, fuck. And I actually thought Cheap Trick would win, frankly. Um, well, that was, one, that was one. That was one. Not to not to cut you off, but I mean, I think that's a that's a great example of one where I felt like uh, I felt that the opinions were actually being changed in real time. Um, I sort of I sort of felt that there was you know potentially potentially the chance to to flip one of you on cheap trick on the basis of that patriotic argument I made for for the Almond Brothers. No, so. no, I didn't, and I and I you know didn't realize that Jeremy was as easily led as he is. Um, but well, uh, uh, <laughs> Sergeant Stripes win. It's hard to say no. Yeah, and then my other, you know, major disappointment and heartbreak, uh, and again, you know, this is this made me uh, reconsider um, bloodlines was uh, um, that either of you, much less both of you, voted for Weezer at one <laughs> I point. I know what this is going to be. <laughs> that was that broke my little heart. If we, had, if we had a regret uh, segment, I may uh, have brought that one up. Yeah, I mean that was a really I I you know I carried that I carried that heavy yoke for the rest of the week. I'll be honest with you, I didn't feel good about that. No, <laughs> that was my I don't even know who you people are uh, for the no tournament. Blood. So yeah, I mean for me, you know, there was just some you know just tough matches matchups like Flaming Lips Wilco was a really tough one for me. I mean those are two important bands, and I think both in American music and in my my life, and having to choose one of them. Uh, it was just one of those matchups, much like a Cheap Trick, Almond Brothers. Cheap Trick was a tough one, and Almond Brothers was a tough one for me, too. I mean, I'm a huge Cheap Trick fan, but I, uh, I did err on the side of sort of impact to American music. And then, you know, uh, Christian and I have a long-running argument about R.E.M., and he's wrong and I'm right. And, uh, you know, going up against Skinner was really no match for them, but I, I think, you know, I would have liked to have seen them at least in the Elite Eight. Um... And, you know, like we said, there, there was each, each round. I think another one, actually, I'm going to throw out there was Beach Boys, Sly and the Family Stone. I think for all of us, that was one of the toughest. The toughie. All right. But, um, I think actually the, you know, the, last, uh, the last really tough matchup that we've got to recap, I mean, we, we just went through it last, uh, last week, but so, um, uh, Nirvana and Stooges. It was it oh, was yeah. brutal. I mean, Nirvana, Velvet Underground, and then Nirvana Stooges. Yeah. I mean, that good God. I mean, talk about talk about a team having to fell a couple There's giants definitely there. Definitely some track marks after that game. <laughs> Listen, I knew I, yeah, I knew there was uh, I knew you know I mean this is a, this has been a month so it's hard to remember uh, way back when but you know we had the Ramones versus Guns and Roses in the first round. Yeah, I was gonna say you know and, and again I appreciate all of the listeners who wrote in. You know, apparently there are a lot of Grateful Dead fans that that listen to us despite our opinions on the Grateful Dead, and, and we, we thank you, um, you know, and, and then also, um, you know, some of the other bands that people were pretty adamant about, and, and I mean, just goes to show how hard this tournament is. Different from uh, the biggest heartbreak is, is the biggest surprises. This is taking all emotional emotion out of the equation. Who were you surprised? Uh, you know what what results really shocked you? 
Christian? Sure. Um, I, I think that, uh, I think that honestly, the, the birds and the replacements, um, were, uh, were a pretty big surprise for me. I mean, I, I, I remember I voted for the birds, but, uh, but I really expected the two of you guys to, uh, to lock in the replacements and send them on. Um, so, uh, so I think that that was a, that was a pretty big surprise or, or, um, uh, perhaps a little bit of an upset, just knowing your taste. Um, but I guess it really does, uh, it really does underscore the rigor of our methodology. Um, I would say, aside from that, um, I'm a little bit surprised about Aerosmith and the Ullman Brothers, but I think I'm probably just sore about it. So how about you, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, I was surprised at how long you two went on about the Eagles, but um, I'll let that one slide. And uh, I'll say Creedence Clearwater and Sly was a surprise. I mean, I, I think we, we, we made the right choice there, and, and Sly went on to the... the the final four, which was fantastic, but I, I'm just surprised going into this tournament. If I'd looked at that matchup, I, I would have uh, would have thought Credence was a, was a shoe in. Um, and then you know, guided by voices, Black Flag. Even though I know Wynn and I are big fans, you do look at Black Flag and kind of the pantheon of, of rock history is, is sort of making their mark. And I, I think guided by voices will get there eventually, but I think that's one that uh, that probably could be argued either way again. Yeah, there, there was a few times, I guess for me, uh, you know, there was several times where I didn't know where the vote was going, where, um, you know, I was, I, I felt like, you know, we were fairly judicious about, you know, given the arguments, um, letting the two people who were on opposing sides vote first. The one I think, you know, might have surprised me as much as anything, and it's a, it was Guns N' Roses and, and the Ramones. I mean, I, I kind of thought, uh, given the uh, given appetite for destruction that um, and Christians noted, um, you know, sort of lukewarm um, uh, acceptance of the Ramones that that Guns N' Roses might have eked that one out just for being such great rock stars. And um, you know that was that was a shocker in, in Boomtown, as they say, in Guided by Voices parlance. And then I think two other uh, two other small surprises that I just want to toss out there that were actually in the very very early stages in the play-in round um, were uh, the fact that Titus Andronicus edged out the New York Dolls, obviously legendary yeah. New York punks versus legendary, well soon to be legendary New York punks, um, and uh, and the other was Jane's Addiction, Jefferson Airplane. The fact that Jane's Addiction didn't make it into the uh, into the sixty four was uh, was a shocker to me. So yeah, it was. And speaking of tough, tough matchups, I mean, the Rens versus Hold Steady. I mean, two bands that, you know, on a, any given day, uh, both uh, we might all be listening to both of them. Um, you know, and that's, so it really, you know, it just goes to show you that, A, you never can tell, as uh, the late Chuck Berry once said, and uh, also that, you know, this was not easy. Having gone through this process, having done research on 64 different bands, having listened to every single song that everyone ever put out, um, Jerry, what did you what did you learn uh, participating well, in this? I think it was like exercise? one of the fun things about this tournament for us is, is you know most of these bands obviously we're, we're pretty familiar with their work, but it was a time to kind of dig a little deeper, and, and you couldn't really you know, argue a band without looking into them a little more and listening to, to deeper cuts, going back to some albums. And uh, funny enough, our final contender here, the Pixies uh, versus Nirvana, a band that I, I've stated as, as probably my favorite band and a band that I've, I've listened to for years now, I, uh, I'd never really 
deep dive reading on them or, or watched any of the, the recent docs. And so I, I took the time to watch Gouge, which I highly recommend. And, um, you know, it wasn't an accident that these guys are in the final. They were uh, a wildly kind of ambitious band that worked really hard at, at developing that sound. And, and uh, I thought the coolest tidbit was the album that ended up coming out as Come On Pilgrim, which was sent to 4AD as a, as a demo, had most of the songs off of Surfer Rosa and even some later songs, you know, basically already fleshed out. So, I mean, the Pixies had about 18 to 20 of their greatest songs done within their first year of existence. And, uh, you know, I think that's pretty impressive and something that impressed me about a band that I thought I knew everything about. Christian? Well, I think that the the biggest lessons um, for me, I mean, and, you know, like you, Jeremy and, and Wyndham, um, you know, I, I really, it was it was a joy, honestly, to, to go through this bracket and really um, dig deep in a lot of these bands. You know, you, you um, particularly once we got to sort of the Sweet 16 and, you know, I went back and, and really forced myself to, to spend some serious quality time with, with the Eagles catalog. You know, I thought that was an important thing to do. Um, and uh, that may be reflected in, in my argument for them um, when I voted for the Beach Boys over them. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I think the band here that I really did the most research in and, and sort of um, that, that I sort of got swept up in, actually, was, was Sly and the Family Stone. Um, you know, I think the, the sort of seminal importance, uh, you know, really, you know, cultural importance in the, in the late 60s, um, creating, uh, creating a new sound out of sort of uh, psychedelic rock, but incorporating elements of, of um, you know, sort of, more traditionally um, uh, black music, whether it was Motown, soul, R and B, um, and then and then doing it, you know, with uh, very consciously and 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 making, you know, and and have, uh, being one of the first bands to include men, women, um, blacks, and whites, um, and and really um, try and sew it all together, uh, forging, you know, I think forging a new path and and opening the door to all all sorts of music that we that we then enjoyed in the '70s and '80s and and beyond. So, um, you know, for me, it was it was really it was a it was a incredibly important history lesson um, on uh, on Sly, and you know, I think. Um, I would just like to, to shout out, actually, I, I got a little help on that front, um, and uh, from, you know, certainly the, the 33 and a third on stand, um, and uh, so, you know, I, I think that just just taking to Twitter and, and hitting up a few journalists who, um, who were very helpful uh, in sending back some of the great, uh, you know, great pieces that, that we'll definitely tweet out from the... Um, brother, 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 uh, Twitter handle here at the brother pod. Um, you know, there's some great research out there, but, but it does take a little digging. So, um, it was a, it was a good lesson for me. How about you, Wyndham? Well, it's funny. I, you know, I grew up, um, you know, with the album and, um, you know, I mean the, the actual vinyl album as a, as, you know, as a real thing. And, and, uh, as a result was a liner notes junkie as a kid, um, with a nod to my friend, Andy Tennille, who refers to himself by his Twitter handle uh, at uh, Liner Notes Junkie, um, but you know I, I had you know I sort of always knew f- you know before there was the um, onslaught of information on the internet, you know I always kind of knew I retained tidbits about bands that I'd find out from the Liner Notes. I'd know where they were from, or I'd know you know a lot of that's reading rock journalism and such. And so uh, one of the things that I, I felt uh, I, again this is a bit of a mea culpa at the same time is. Um, uh, uh, you know, funny, funny things I didn't know. Um, we, you know, I had purposefully kept Dave Matthews aside, um, thinking, you know, big American band, but he's not American. Um, and to be honest, he, you know, he did grow up overseas uh, in South Africa, but, um, I was, I was surprised at how many of the, of the, you know, sort of notorious, um, rock stars, uh, that I grew up with were, were born in foreign countries. I knew the Van Halens were Dutch. Uh, I didn't realize that they moved over here in their adolescence rather than um, their infancy, which I had originally thought. Um, David Byrne uh, is Scottish, Scottish-born, uh, raised in Canada and America. And um, Gene Simmons, uh, who I had thought was of Hungarian descent, but born in the States, is actually was is of Hungarian descent, but grew up in Israel. 
uh, before moving to the United States. So it was for me th- those kinds of inform- you know those kinds of factoids are are always really interesting. I I can imagine they're not to everybody, but to me, you know, and people who are real music junkies, um, that's the kind of stuff that I find fascinating. So you know, it was another excuse to deep dive into um, you know the the real the history and and um, you know life story of of a lot of people that I'm interested in. Um, that said, uh, we have a, a final to the side. So, are you guys ready? Ready as we'll ever be. Well, I think I'll. All right. Well, yeah, after, I was about to say. I think I'll be ready after a break. I need to collect my thoughts and take a couple deep breaths here. This is going to be tough. All right. So after after a quick break, we'll be back with the Pixies versus Nirvana. back to the brother 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 podcast it is do or die time it is the finals and the final two bands that came out of our bracket challenge of the greatest american band were the pixies and nirvana and we've said a lot about both bands so you know i think uh really what we want to do here is recognize the greatness of what these bands brought and and really you know their lasting impact and you know to me, you know, like Jeremy just said, I, and I, I'd like to echo, I mean, it, it, I, I knew coming from uh, UMass that this was a great band. I knew it early. But I don't think, I think like Jeremy, I don't think in an era when it was kind of uncool to, to be ambitious and to show your effort and to, and to really, you know, sort of hone your craft and be great at what you did, that, it, that the Pixies... Um, given how cool and of the moment they were, that they were that band that was, you know, fully formed and trying as hard as they possibly could. It, it just, you know, it, it sort of was a reflection of the times, not a reflection of the band. Now that I go back, I realize that these things don't just happen. This, this isn't a happy accident. This guy had a vision. Uh, this band had a vision. And, and their, their songs were really amazing right from, the, right from go. So, you know, Jared, I don't know if you want to walk us through a little bit of Surfer Rosa, um, but, you know, sort of a, or both of you guys, I mean, a sort of, a, not a track by track necessarily, but some highlights. Sure. I mean, you know, Surfer Rosa is, is the album that, that changed my, uh, my, my musical life in a way, and, and it starts with Bone Machine. I mean, there's the kickoff track to that song with the drums and the guitar and the bass line and the insane vocal you know, vocal styling and lyric content. Um, just, you know, uh, you guys probably want to shoot me for saying this, but I just was like, this is what I like. This is, I knew this is what I like. And apparently so did a, a, a lot of other people, including uh, Kurt Cobain. Um, and if you listen to some of the, the artists at the time, you know, people like Tom York and, and uh, even big artists like Bono just heard this and were like, whoa, what is this? Um, you know, it, it's an album to me that, um, you know, can, can crash into you with Bone Machine and then sort of gently kind of caress you with songs like Gigantic um, that Kim Deal sings and, and uh, you know, um, really kind of turn the corner, where is my mind? I mean, Christian, what are some highlights for you off that album? I think, uh, I mean, I think you nailed it with Bone Machine. I've never, um, I've never really, it's, it's one of those moments that I'll sort of remember is throwing that on for the first time. Um, in addition to that though, you know, I I think I, I love the, um, you know, for me, this is a band that was really defined by these sort of incredible 
juxtapositions of, of style. Um, and, you know, I think we've, we've talked about the different axes in which, which um, you know, those are sort of explored on this album and uh, on Doolittle as well. But, but you know, that uh, certainly loud, quiet, loud is always attributed to them as sort of a, a f- almost a formula for, for some of their music. Um, but I think, again, you have something so smooth and poppy and sweet like gigantic up up next to broken face um it's just such a such a great sort of one-two punch in the middle of the album i you know that i i really i really adore that um so how about you Wyndham? well i was just gonna go back and i mean speaking on you know sort of uh highlighting or you know reinforcing both of your points jeremy uh you know this is an this is a band that you know bowie covered Versus a band that covered Bowie. It's kind of crazy. Um, you know, Cactus, uh, which is, a, you know, I think is a, a beautiful song, uh, even with its sort of violent imagery. Um, you know, it, uh, you know it, David Bowie covers the song in, in, you know, in the early 2000s and, and beautifully as well. Um, that said, I think it really was... Um, the sort of co-vocals, which it's it's hard to say co-vocals in this because Kim Deal only sings lead on one song, but she sings harmony on every song. And and to borrow uh, Art Garfunkel's rather pretentious term, uh, she really was a harmonist, um, and it really softened uh, the blow of of the you know the the gut punch that uh, Frank Black was delivering. And you know nowhere more than on a on a song like River Euphrates. So coming from Surfer Rosa, which was, you know, famously Steve Albini produced and, and sounded like no other, um, you know, was what, what was next for the Pixies? And, and we're talking about kind of a, a two-album run here, two sort of masterpieces. You know, we, we, we joke about, you know, our favorite albums by some of these bands, and this is like favorite A and favorite B. And uh, B was, was their follow-up, which was Doolittle, which, you know, in, in production terms, kind of took that raw, angular, sharp, you know, Hall, you know, sort of like a band playing in a rehearsal space and brought them in the studio, but still remained just as unique and just as kind of fascinating and, and fun. And to a lot of people, is actually their favorite album by, by the Pixies. It's a, pretty much a tie for me. Um, what's kind of cool about this album, when I don't know if you remember this, but our, our sister Lisa was working at NYU at the time, the radio station, and had an advanced copy and brought it home to our, our suburban home in New Jersey. And I remember just, you know, popping on that tape like it was the new uh, Michael Jackson album or something and, and it kicking right into uh, Debaser, you know, into Wave of Mutilation. And, and right away you could see that this band, you know, the, the ambition that we talked about, I mean, there was a professionalism to this album, but it still contained the same kind of like, you know, crazy lyrics, great catchy riffs, um, aggressiveness that the other albums had, yet with like a, a cleaner sort of pop sound. Um, what are your, some of your favorites on, on, on Doolittle, guys? Well, I mean, for me, I, I think you're absolutely right um, that, that this does feel a little bit more like the, the, the polished pop album. Um, and I think, you know, that's that's evident in songs. I mean, just it starts off with the baser, which has just got this sort of like uh, uh, slightly more 
I would say upbeat or lighthearted sort of melody to it. Um, and you know, where I, I always feel that, that listening to surfer Rosa kind of feels like getting electrocuted sometimes. It's like, I mean, it's just, it's so in your face. Um, and you know, you've, you've got these sort of like really tight, punchy three minute pop tunes, um, which are, which are great in here. Um, I have to say though, my, one of my favorite songs in this album, I, I won't maybe say my absolute favorite, is, is actually I Bleed, um, which is sort of an odd outlier and slow, sluggish plotting, but just, it's a really, it's, a, it's a, just an incredibly powerful song um, and, uh, and a huge sort of pump-up song for me. I don't know why. I, it's funny, for me, the Pixies were a band where I remember when I, you know, obviously when I first heard them, um, they were, they, nobody knew who they were, um, and there were, I had the same uh, reaction I had when I first heard Neutral Milk Hotel, which is, I love this, nobody else is going to like this. And as it turned out, as Doolittle came out, you know, it was like, the, this is spreading, this is becoming a thing. Um, even though it wasn't, you know, the juggernaut that I thought it should be with, and I, you know, I thought Here Comes Your Man would be a number one hit, frankly, um, falls back into the power pop conversation that Jared and I always have, which is, you know, how the hell is this not a hit? Um, I think, you know, and I used to think the sequencing was, was off and Doolittle, but I've come to really, you know, love it over the course of time. Um, and I, I, you know, to me, this, you know, the standout track on that shifted so many times in my life, the way, you know, wave of mutilation, debaser, here comes your man, monkey gone to heaven, you know, everything. But I think the one I listen to as much as, as any now, the thing I put on mixes as much as anything is, is the song, Hey. Welcome back to the Brother, 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 Greatest American Band Final. And uh, we've talked a bit about the Pixies. And, you know, with this competition, I think when we finally drilled down and, and you know, after that many rounds and that many matchups and, and these bands advancing and talking about uh, particularly the final two bands the most, the Pixies uh, versus Nirvana, it came down to a, uh, a competition between uh, these two bands' best two albums. Um, in this case... Um, you know, Surfer Rosa with the Come On Pilgrim addendum, um, along with Doolittle versus uh, Nevermind and uh, In Utero. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, the ballots are in, and, and the winner of, of the Brother, Brother, Brother Great American Band Tournament is Nirvana. Drum roll. Jared? So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, in the end, it ended up being a, a sweep, I think a tough, tough competition, especially due to the fact that Nirvana was so heavily influenced by the aforementioned uh, Surfer Rosa. But, um, you know, let's start with Nevermind, and, and it's just an album that, that changed everything, and, and you can't really say that about uh, too many albums. And, and, you know, a lot of the bands that, that made it in this tournament certainly had moments, but... Um, I think Nirvana still, their impact is still felt pretty heavily. And, you know, I'll just kind of go from time and place scenario where, um, you know, much like different eras in rock and roll, there was a, a very bloated mainstream out there kind of clogging up the airwaves, both on radio, certainly on music video at the time. And, uh, and along came a, a video and a single, Smells Like Teen Spirit, that 
that really just you know completely changed the face of music, music business, and uh, and and what people wore, what they looked like, what they were listening to, and uh, and, and it was pretty damn impressive. Um, you know, Nevermind is is a great album, start to finish. It's an album that, uh, for me, you know, has has kind of a, a, a you know raw power in as far as loudness. Um, does obviously borrow from our, our friends the Pixies and that quite loud as they tried to kind of emulate that. But the thing that I really liked most about Kurt Cobain and, and some highlights for me were songs like On a Plane or Drain You where he just had a great pop sensibility. He could kind of take like a, a, a Beatles sort of-esque pop tune and, and um, drown it out with, with great fuzz and then, uh, you know, a nice compact, really, you know, great great tunes. And, um, you know, in general, I think uh, Nirvana came and, and conquered. They were reluctant conquerors, but they... Uh, they conquered the music scene, whether they like it or not. Um, Christian, what are some of your kind of highlights off of uh, hearing Nevermind? Well, you know, I think that, um, I mean, I think that for me, it, it really, some of the some of the slower tunes um, and, uh, you know, whether it's on a plane um, or, uh, you know, something in the way um, are in- incredibly sort of moving pieces here. And I mean, I think part of it is, is the way that, you know, I, I sort of processed this and internalized it like in high school. It, again, it's, I, I've mentioned this before, but I think a lot of people come to Nirvana at a time with all sorts of sort of emotional volatility in their lives. Um, and, and it's certainly, you know, born out, um, born out all across this album. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the standalone for me and, and the thing that really summarizes, uh, I think very succinctly, um, and explicitly, uh, their their incredible power and volume um, is uh, is the song "Territorial Pissings," which you know for for a number of reasons is is maybe my favorite song on this album. Actually, um, you know it it uh, it opens up with a sort of repudiation of um, of hippie values uh, as they you know as, as Nova Salik is is um, you know mock singing um, the tune get together by the young bloods which is that you know come on people now smile on your brother everybody get together try to love one another um, and uh, that's pretty much the moment at which this song gets shot out of a fucking cannon at 8,000 miles per hour, um, and you have this just incredible onslaught of Dave Grohl's, you know, thunderous drumming, um, and, uh, you know, followed by, followed by this just uh, unreal, you know, wall of, like, just thrashing guitars, um, I also think that it, you know, it, it weds this sort of uh, uh, rebuke, as I, I mentioned, of, of, you know, sort of idealism um, with, uh, with, you know, some of Cobain's most sort of deeply held, you know, fears and, and sort of this catharsis. And when he sings, you know, that, that just because you're paranoid don't mean they're not after you. So territorial pissings would have to be my pick. Yeah, I think, you know, Nevermind is inarguably one of the great albums of all time. I think, you know, it's up there in the world with Pet Sounds and, you know, some of the great British albums, which we're not talking about uh, in this competition. But 
Um, you know, among American albums that that changed the course of history, I, I mean, you can't argue that uh, Nirvana's Nevermind wasn't there. But even for them, uh, you know, it's sort of a, a you know funny um, being the acolytes of of their predecessors, the Stooges and the Pixies. Um, you know, they thought that Nevermind had too clean of a sheen on it; that it was uh, too commercially. Um, too commercial sounding. Um, I don't think, you know, I mean, I, I think the commercial success was certainly overwhelming, obviously. But, um, I, you know, I think that they were a little disappointed, um, you know, uh, with the, uh, you know, with the quality of the production. It took away a little bit of their edge. And having seen them live, um, you know, they were a, a more visceral band, even than that album allowed them to be. So, um you know, the, it's funny. Our two finalists, uh, you know, in order to uh, in order to sound more like the Pixies, I think uh, they went back to uh, the um, the guy who who created the you know the Pixies um, signature sound, which was Steve Albini for for their second album or their sorry their their third album, but their second major label um, in Utero. Yeah, and Utero was one of those albums that uh, you know we talked a little bit about this on the last pod that. You know, there was a lot of buzz about, obviously, it was Nirvana's huge, you know, follow-up, so it was highly anticipated, but it also was one that, you know, was deemed to be unlistenable, and, and there was lots of rumors going around that they had just gone on and made a noise record, and, and you know, with no pop hooks, and, and you know, um, that's certainly not the case with songs like um, Heart Shaped Box being the first signal, uh, you know, Francis Farmer will have a revenge, Rape Me, Dumb, I mean, Penny Royalty, it, it's actually got quite a quite a few catchy songs because I think this band couldn't do anything, you know. They can't not exactly. write pop The guy songs. writes great pop songs. And, um, you know, I also think that it was a, a, a fitting follow-up that sort of, despite being raw, also added some, some little things like, you know, a cello player to, to certain tracks and um, some of the noisier songs, uh, you know, had, had, had definitely a fiercer kind of raw aggressiveness on them as well. Um, it's a great follow-up. It's, it's hard to do, you know, hard to match an album. And both these bands did it, you know, Pixies with Doolittle and Nirvana with In Utero. And um, it may have turned some people off. I don't think too many, though. I think this album is just as loved as, as Nevermind when you talk to Nirvana it, fans, if not more. It's really... It's really... It's really hard to to sell the number of albums and and garner the the sort of worship and fandom that they did, and then lead off here follow up with the line "Teenage Danks has paid off well and now I'm bored and old," yeah. <laughs> and, and have it resonate with those very people. So let's have a quick listen. It's funny going back to In Utero, um, you know, it's not something I listen to every day, but um, going back to it, I, I, I knew in real time what a, uh, what a great album it was. I, you know, sort of, after listening to the, the buzz around it, I was anticipating a harsher album. The sentiment behind it uh, was, was so um, cynical and um, distrustful of of uh, you know the the industry and the and the society that sort of created it, um, it's hard to imagine that it had such resonance and and you know global reach. But you know that's that's the problem with being uh, the greatest band in uh, 
you know, going in the world at, a, at the, any, any given time. Your, your uh, mistakes become epic achievements. Well, that's absolutely right, Wyndham. I think, you know, the, when you say mistakes become epic achievements, um, you can't really get more tongue-in-cheek than writing a song called Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. Um, and, you know, I think this was Cobain's sort of maybe a, maybe a spin at something like the Stooges. I mean, he just, in, in that actually, that two-song run right there, so Radio Friendly Unit Shifter followed by Tourette's, um, you know, maybe maybe the uh, the portion of the album in which he is really trying to throw both middle fingers in the air, um, which I'm sure he did for plenty of uh, photo promo, or, you know, promo photo shoots. Um, but, uh, but even so, they fit seamlessly within the album, and they create this incredible um, sort of vortex of... Uh, um, of just slamming rock and roll, uh, which makes the you know powerful final statement of all apologies that much more moving and meaningful. Um, which of course he he wrote for uh, for Francis Bean, his daughter. Um, you know, all of that said, much as we love in utero, and and we truly do. Um, I think uh, I think there's there's truly one rock and roll song by the band Nirvana that sets them apart and makes them the greatest American band. And I really think it's one of the greatest rock and roll songs of all time. It changed everything. And that smells like teen spirit. Thanks for playing, guys.